Hi everybody, it's James Rudd with The Heart Podcast, and on today's episode we are talking all about radiation. Today's guest is Dr. Michelle Williams from the University of Edinburgh. Michelle is well known to the heart audience because she was the first author of the Scott Heart uh, series of studies, uh, which have really changed the way that we think about cardiac CT and patients with chest pain. But she's joining me today to talk about radiation protection and what the general and interventional cardiologist needs to know about radiation. Why is it important? How can we reduce the dose that we give to ourselves and more importantly, our patients? And it's a really useful interview, I hope. I'll put a link to Michelle's Education in Heart piece that was recently published, which will be free to read for two weeks. As ever, I'm very grateful for your listening and subscribing to the podcast. And please spread the word far and wide so that we can get new listeners. I hope you enjoy the interview. Well, thanks very much indeed, Michelle, for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, Perhaps we can start off by telling the Heart audience uh, where you work and what you do. Thanks very much indeed for having me, James. My name is Michelle Williams. I'm a clinical lecturer in cardiothoracic radiology at the University of Edinburgh. And I do a lot of research involving cardiac CT, PET imaging, and imaging of the heart in all different sorts of ways. And I know you'll be familiar to the heart audience because of your leading role in the Scott Heart trial, amongst other ongoing trials. But today, I've actually asked you here to talk about a education in heart paper that you've recently published in Heart, which is all about using radiation safely in cardiology what imagers and cardiologists need to know. Um, It's a great paper and has been very popular on the website and in the journal. But perhaps you could start off by introducing us to this topic and why you think it's important that cardiologists in particular are aware of the radiation that we are ordering and exposing our patients to. Yes, it's a very important topic. Radiation dose um, for anyone involved in it ordering imaging, requesting imaging, in in performing imaging, interpreting imaging, and interpreting the results of imaging that involves radiation. It's always very important to know the basics of what it is, what the problems are, what the ways of reducing radiation dose are, and what uh, we can do to make things the best for both patients and for staff. And in cardiac imaging, it's particularly important that um, cardiologists know about radiation dose because practically all of the um, imaging modalities we order involve radiation. Anything involving nuclear medicine, anything involving x-rays, anything involving invasive coronary geography, and anything involving CT all involve radiation dose. So we have to be aware of it. And I think the way you've set out your article uh, is really uh, great and really makes sense to me. You've divided it really into the exposures that we cause patients to have by ordering and and performing diagnostic and therapeutic uh, examinations, and then also the effect of radiation on the operators themselves. And I'm thinking here particularly of interventional cardiologists and interventional electrophysiology doctors. Um, And you start off by talking about the standard background radiation dose in the UK being 2.7 millisieverts per year, and actually 0.4 millisieverts of that is comprised from diagnostic medical examinations, which seemed really high to me. 
but uh, yeah, that's a real wake-up call. The average background radiation in the UK varies depending on where you live. If you live in Aberdeen or Cornwall, your average background dose can be much higher than in other parts of the UK. Um, and medical exposures are part of that. Obviously, the largest parts of um, your background exposures comes from the sun's rays, from radon gas and from um, um, various um, environmental areas. But um, diagnostic medical imaging is part of that. And the number of scans that we're ordering, particularly CT scans and nuclear scans, has increased greatly over the last few years, hasn't it? Yes, we're we're very much on an exponential curve when it comes to imaging of um, of all forms. Um, the growth in nuclear, interestingly, is slowing a little bit um, in America with some tightening of their guidelines. But overall, th- th- around the world, um, imaging is increasing rapidly, and cardiac imaging in particular is increasing rapidly. And you say that in the USA, there's been a 20-fold increase in the number of CT procedures uh, between 1985 and 2005, which is an extraordinary number. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and uh, continuing to increase. So when it comes to trying to put some numbers on this, you talk uh, at fair length about the difficulties with uh, how we describe uh, the dose, particularly that we give to patients in terms of estimating patient radiation dose. Could you talk a little bit about that and where we seem to have settled uh, in terms of units and how we do that? So in very basic terms, when we talk about radiation dose, we're often talking about effective radiation dose. And the most important thing to take home from this is this is an estimate. It's not the radiation dose that that individual patient got. It's an estimate based on the scan parameters and the patient parameters. And when it comes to effective dose, we talk in millisieverts, and these are the most widely talked about numbers. But the way we get to millisieverts uh, varies depending on the imaging modality. And although you can do complicated modeling to work out um, more precise numbers, in most cases, it involves a little bit of a back of an envelope calculation. What we do, let's take CT, for example, you take from the scanner, you get an outputted number called the dose length product, which is worked out based on some standardized um, uh, measurements from the scanner, plus the exposure parameters that you use to scan that individual patient. And to get from dose length product to effective dose, you have to multiply it by a conversion factor. And which conversion factor you use is obviously very important. Traditionally, for cardiac CT, we've used a low conversion factor. And with our increasing knowledge of radiation dose, um, risks of radiation dose, and actually a bit of what the CT scanners are doing themselves, the conversion factor we now think should be much higher. So whenever you're looking at an effective dose, the way to actually sound like you know what you're talking about and to actually interpret that infective dose is to ask what was the conversion factor. And if the conversion factor was 0.014, well, that's on the low side. We actually think the conversion factor should be probably double that, if not a bit more. A lot of the work around radiation and radiation dose reduction has been in CT over the past few years because um Cardiac CT started out as a high radiation dose technique and is now a a very low radiation dose technique. But all of these different concerns do actually apply to 
to some degree to fluoroscopic imaging and nuclear imaging. Similarly, for those tests, you can get your number out of your protocol, your dose area product in terms of fluoroscopy or your injected radiation dose in terms of nuclear medicine, and then you multiply them by a conversion factor. And similar issues with what these conversion factors should be come up in these techniques as well. So the bottom line is really that effective dose is an estimated parameter that has an error rate of up to 40%, which is pretty high. And so should only be taken as, as an estimate rather than an absolute number and is much more useful and was actually designed for population-based studies rather than individual patient assessment. So if you see an effective dose, always look for the conversion factor before you try and interpret it. Yeah, I certainly will do, and uh, I try to do that at the moment, but often forget. Um, but figure three of your paper uh, is a nice summary of where we are, I guess, with sort of average doses that you might expect uh, for these individual tests, CT of the heart, uh, fluoroscop uh, fluoroscopic imaging, etc., and some nuclear scans as well. And what's the issue with radiation, Michelle? What's the What kind of problems does it cause uh, in, for the patient? We start off, first of all. So the problems with radiation dose can be split into two different types. You've got um, deterministic effects and stochastic effects. When it comes to the effects of radiation dose, the ones that everyone worries about is cancer. And uh, cancer is one of the um, stochastic effects. It's an effect that can develop at any radiation dose. We currently think of radiation and stochastic effects in the terms of a linear no-threshold model that at any radiation dose it could happen. But at increasing radiation doses, the likelihood but not the severity of it might happen. Um, so the risks of radiation depend a lot on age and a lot on gender as well. And there's a graph in the paper that shows nicely the differences between men and women at different ages in terms of potential radiation risk. When it comes to our knowledge of this cancer risk, much of it is based on radiation doses that are much higher and also very different types of radiation compared to what we use in clinical practice, in particular survivors of um, atomic explosions. There is some data um, from lower radiation doses in um, occupational exposures now as well. And, but much of it is modeled and estimates rather than absolute knowledge. But a rough number that we use often in clinical practice is a 5% risk per sievert or 1 in 20,000 per millisievert risk of fatal malignancy. When it comes to the other risks of radiation, they're the deterministic risks. And those are the ones that have a threshold level that below that they don't happen. And that's things like skin erythema and hair loss. And these sort of ones we rarely see in clinical practice. You may have seen pictures um, of radiation incidents where there's uh, skin damage and hair loss. And it is one to, skin effects is one to be particularly aware of in fluoroscopic imaging. 
And the other deterministic effect that it's important that cardiologists are aware of is um, the lens opacities and the risk of getting cataracts is a deterministic effect. And this is particularly important for interventional uh, and electrophysiologists who may be exposed to a long amount of uh, radiation over a prolonged period of time. And there's somewhere in the paper that you mentioned the average exposure for a UK cardiologist uh, about 10 years ago, the data is from 2009-10, was 0.12 millisieverts, which I think is about the equivalent of six or seven chest x-rays. So it's not an inconsiderate amount. And as you say, people who are doing long procedures, electrophysiologists, really need to be aware of the radiation uh, that they're exposing themselves to. And you give a nice section about what cardiologists can do to try and reduce the exposure that they get as part of their occupation Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that and the inverse square law and where that fits in? Yes. So the first thing when it comes to reducing occupational radiation exposure is anything that reduces the radiation exposure to the patient also reduces the radiation exposure to the staff. So that's a very important thing that all of the bells and whistles from the point of view of hardware, software that you have, you should be using. Um, In addition, good operator technique means that um, the radiation exposure for both patient and staff is lower throughout the room. And you're talking about the operator and all the other staff in the room as well. From the point of view of um, uh, everyone in the room, the inverse square law is really useful. And it means that if you double the distance between the operator and the radiation source, you reduce the radiation dose that you will be exposed to by a factor of four. So you can see that the further the way that you can get, the better. Um, and this is very important for uh, anyone observing procedures, any other staff in the room as well. If you don't need to be right up close, don't be right up close. The other thing is personal protective equipment. Um, everything that you have in your department, you should be using. No excuse for not bothering with the thyroid collars in particular. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we're all sometimes guilty of that. And there is a nice section in there that you, where you talk about uh, other measures that we can use uh, to reduce occupational exposure. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your particular clinical and research interest of CT and perhaps some of the hardware and software developments that are, are going on in CT? You said that it used to be a really high exposure technique when applied to the heart, but is now much lower indeed. Yeah, since I started back in 2009, the radiation dose of cardiac CT has been rapidly falling. I think we've now sort of stabilized out at a sort of standard clinical practice radiation dose wise. But um, there's lots of different things we can use. The main thing when cardiac CT, similar to all of the imaging modalities, is tailoring the protocol to the individual patient. If the patient can be scanned at a lower tube voltage or with a smaller scan range or with a better um, um, application of prospective gating, all of these things can help reduce the radiation dose. When it comes to hardware and software, we've also got uh, a variety of things with the more state-of-the-art scanners and iterative reconstruction has come a long way. And when we first started out with iterative reconstruction about five, six years ago in cardiac CT, the images uh, looked a little bit plasticky and a little bit um, odd compared to our normal images. But for most of the manufacturers now, the iterative reconstruction algorithms are as good as 
if not better than the standard filtered back projection algorithms. So there's lots of things that have come along in cardiac CT to reduce the radiation dose over the past few years. And the one thing that's happened uh, since this paper was initially drafted is that we now have um, diagnostic reference levels for cardiac CT. Um, and that was based on an uh, audit, national audit of radiation dose done by the BSCI. And we've now got on Public Health England and on the BSCI websites diagnostic reference levels for your standard prospective and retrospective cardiac CT. And this is really useful for benchmarking of local practice and for um, uh, creating uh, business cases for new cardiac uh, scanners and for ensuring patient safety across the board when it comes to cardiac imaging. The average UK radiation dose for cardiac CT is around about 6 millisieverts using a conversion factor of 0.028, which puts it in the lines of a um, lowish radiation dose technique from the point of view of CT. In terms of nuclear cardiology, traditionally been associated with slightly higher doses than CT, in my mind at least. Uh, have there been any developments recently that might help to reduce both the patient exposure and the, well, potentially the operator exposure, but I guess that doesn't happen very often. But what's new in, in nuclear cardiology that, that can help to reduce the exposure? So in nuclear cardiology, similarly, there's a variety of um, new hardware and new software, again, using improved um, iterative reconstruction and resolution recovery techniques. And there's a variety of cardiac-specific SPET scanners, which have um, solid-state detectors and dedicated geometry to reduce the radiation dose. When it comes to uh, nuclear imaging, uh, the radiation dose is really dependent on how much radio tracer you inject and which radio tracer you use. Um, PET radio tracers generally have a lower radiation dose than the SPECT radio tracers, um, although access to PET is obviously not as widespread as access to SPECT. There are uh, several best practices that have been uh, developed by the um, INCAPS project and the International Atomic Energy Association for um, minimizing radiation dose when it comes to myocardial and perfusion imaging. And there in the paper there, the main things is um, avoiding using high radiation dose um, uh, tracers and avoiding using too much of these tracers. Um, when it comes to nuclear imaging, Europe has the lowest radiation dose around the world of the most recent INCAPS um, sur survey at uh, 7.9 millisieverts for its average compared to 10.9 for the rest of the world. And um, so there is definitely a geographical um, spread of radiation dose when it comes to nuclear imaging. And in particular, the use of low radiation dose tracers and tailoring the, the amount of the tracer to uh, the individual patient in terms of whether they can have just stress-only imaging as well uh, helps to minimize radiation dose. Brilliant. Well, that's uh, a fantastic overview, Michelle, and I will put a link to the uh, full text of the paper in the podcast show notes. It will be free for everybody to read for two weeks after the release of this podcast, and I'll certainly encourage everybody to do that. I want to thank you very much indeed uh, for your time, Michelle and uh, hope you will revisit the podcast once again when uh, the next Scott Hart study or sub-study is published. Thanks very much indeed, James. Look forward to chatting again soon.